Hello, everyone. It is We Ate All the Pies, match week nine in the Premier League in the Premier League for the 21-22 season, which I think will go down as the SmackDown weekend of the Premier League. Several teams just absolutely had their bells rung, and three in particular made their title credentials known. We will talk about them in just a moment. But first, I have to introduce, in true SmackDown wrestling fashion, my co-hosts for... Uh, this evening, it's evening when we're recording it, you may not know that, uh, from Sherman, Texas, he's a Geordie at heart, and despite the fact that he's got all this new money now, he still just can't help but stick to his Geordie ways. It is Jordan, the horse puncher Allison. Jordan, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. The Callum Wilson goal really uh, buoyed my weekend. Uh, and then just the schoidenfrata of watching Manchester United shit on themselves for 90-plus minutes. Blah. Blah. Hilarious. Why so much hatred for Manchester United? I don't um, understand. You know, honestly, no reason. kind of okay. <laughs> No, no, it, it's so it's just the way I uh, it kind of flipped my hatred for various clubs kind of flips back and forth between uh, you know the the big ones and it really involves around the Sunderland. entitlement of the it, oh Sunderland's always <laughs> I always have a black hole uh, when it comes to them uh, yeah that place is devoid of all life whatsoever um, no. Honestly, just it, it involves the, uh, it's it's a rotating it's a rotating cast of whether or not like how entitled your fans are at this point uh, versus how mu- how entitled your players are on the field. Um, and yes, I cannot stand American Liverpool fans. There has been a lot that have jumped on the bandwagon <laughs> bandwagon in the past couple of years, and they're incredibly annoying. But what kind of counterbalances that for me is uh, how how well they play. It's just a joy for, for me to watch them play because they, they they have an entertaining way they play the game. Manchester United, yes, the fans have always and will always be somewhat annoying. That goes with being one of the best you know teams in the history of the Premier League. Um, and that sense of entitlement among fans is not counterbalanced by just the level of apathy you see on the pitch sometimes from their from their from their team. It's interesting to me that your level and the entitlement of fans against them considering what just happened with your club i.e. the Saudi Arabia buyout, but we'll leave that there for now. And on the other line from the great state of Georgia and I, I, this is the one that I came up with just because you guys have a baseball team that's already taken all the good nicknames. So it's Caleb the Macon Mayhem Slinkard who join, <laughs> joins us. Macon Mayhem. That's Macon actually Mayhem. our uh, minor league hockey team. Damn it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we've, we've got all the good names. Yeah, Macon, you do. Macon Bacon, Macon Mayhem. But I'll, I'll gladly share a nickname with them. That's cool. You have minor league, minor league hockey. Oklahoma City yeah. doesn't have that anymore, which is I've, I've been told several times, uh, uh, actually, over the past few weeks that people want that back. But anyways, how are you doing? 
good. Enjoying cooler weather here in Georgia. Um, we're almost to November, which means I'm uh, about a week away from putting up Christmas decorations. So <laughs> I try and avoid Christmas decorations until Thanksgiving, but I do feel like this this year we might we might go a little bit early because it's our first. It's yeah, the first well, time some of us live alone, Adam. So you know, some of us need a little bit need a little bit of light in our lives. We put it up way early last year. I feel like everybody did last year. Just needed that little bit. You know, Adam. A little bit extra something. Yes. I would agree with you, and generally, like my my steadfast rule uh, is the weekend after Thanksgiving, Christmas decorations to go, can go. But as an adult, as I've entered my soon God mid thirties now, um, I've just come to realize that life is too short and too miserable outside of you know the the, the, the joy we we make for ourselves so november 1st i'm bringing on i want all the holiday drinks i want the holiday music i don't care if you put your christmas lights up make uh, do what makes yourself what makes you happy and for me it's enjoying christmas for two months amen here here i like to give thanksgiving and the turkey some time to enjoy their their spot it has its day yeah it has its day yeah yeah one day as I mentioned, this was just an absolute beatdown weekend for some of these Premier League teams, um, and that is leading to a whole lot of speculation and talk from people who don't know anything and some more talk from some people who might know something. Um, and so we will start with the big conversation starter for the weekend from Old Trafford, an absolute bloodbath, Manchester United nil, Liverpool 5. The sky is falling on the red side of Manchester after a listless performance against their biggest rivals. Mo Salah with a masterclass to put Liverpool firmly in charge. He assisted on the first goal by Naby Keita in the fifth minute. And the second came before a quarter of an hour gone thanks to a Maguire-Shaw blunder and a tap-in for Diego, for Diego Jota. The third goal, uh, Salah's shot that was blocked, uh, squeezed through to Keita and then... He was the first to react to the ensuing cross. Uh, and just a fun fact here, Mo Salah, with that goal, has now scored in seven straight Premier League games. Um, it was the first of a hat-trick for him at Old Trafford. But more importantly, for me, I mean, just looking back on it, that Mo Salah goal, that first one that made it 3-0 in the first half, that's the moment I think United really starts to sink. Like, they had some chances... I think Ronaldo had a chance in, in the first half. I think uh, Bruno definitely had a chance in the first half. Shaw sent a shot that was pretty close. To that, that went up and over the bar. Um, yeah, I think Greenwood may have forced a save from uh, from Allison. But this is the moment where it really starts to go awry. Uh, Salah grabs another before halftime. Then he then he completed his hat trick just, just after the break. And then Paul Pogba... Gets brought on at halftime, spends about 15 minutes on the pitch, and uh, gets sent off for a foul on Nabi Keita. Keita actually did have to be stretchered off. Um, and so I guess the first question I will ask and just toss it up there, is this the end for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at, Liber at uh, Manchester United? I believe it has to be. Um because if you look at the teams on paper, you could honestly go down either 11 and they'd be matched up pretty evenly. 
But, you know, on Sunday morning, we saw what a manager uh, with a, you know, complimentary game strategy to the team he put on the on the pitch could do. Um, I mean, and he, I think he has to either uh, he has to go now, or any hopes they have of Champions League, you know, um, or the or you know, contending for the Premier League title are going to be gone. Well, they're not contending for the Premier League title. I think that's gone. I don't. I don't see this team, this Manchester United team, able to catch up and to do that. And so, yeah, I mean, in that regard. You would say uh, Solskjaer's out. However, I I want to kind of throw this this up at you because I tend to agree. I think this was this is it. It's not like this was. It's not like this was unexpected. I mean, I don't think anybody expected Liverpool to win by five, but they did expect Liverpool to dominate and to win based on how United have been playing recently. And the fact that Solskjaer wasn't able to get his team up for these, you know, like I said last week in top shelf predictions, which I got wildly incorrect. Um. Usually, United gets up for these games. I mean, they have in their history a few of these results that don't quite go their way um, and, you know, kind of get away from them. But it's very abnormal. And this, to me, was a very abnormal result for Manchester United and really indicates something that's wrong. However, this weekend they play Tottenham at, at Tottenham Hotspur down in London. They play Atalanta in the Champions League. And then they play Manchester City. It's not an ideal time to be without a manager. This is not really a good time to be switching. You've got some very important games in particular coming up. Matches that are going to be tough, even under the best of circumstances. And by jettisoning your manager now, I think you were effectively sabotaging yourself for those three games. Not to say that they would necessarily win them all if Solskjaer were there. But it's going to cause a problem. And so I think that's where the hesitancy is coming in right now. Is I mean, do you do, if you get rid of him now, you're going to be rudderless effectively for at least two of those three games. And I, and I think you know probably the other thing that you have to factor in is his legacy with the team. I mean, if if this was if if he was just someone who you know come on to manage manage for a couple of years and been disappointing and you know, then they'd probably sack him. But when you talk about somebody who had, you know, more than a decade-long career at Man U, um, you know, I, I think it's tough for – I don't think this is the time to drop him. You know, like you were saying, not just because, you know, you're, you've got a stretch of tough matches coming up, but also because it's not quite the way you really want to see him go. I mean, if – in a vacuum, I think he would be sacked already um, after a result like that. I mean, that was just horrendous. And – it wasn't like they played hard and lost. They looked listless from the very beginning. I mean, they, they, they didn't look like they were up for this match at all, which seems impossible. And they just played poorly the entire time. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he doesn't last, you know, until the weekend. But at the same point in time, I think part of the hesitancy is his um, career at Manchester United. Yeah, I think it's part of it. I, I think the, the timing is part of it. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it, it was just that they, they played so shockingly. Jordan, you, you mentioned, you know, kind of what it looks like when you go, when, when 
you know, this Manchester United team goes up against the Liverpool team where Jurgen Klopp knows what his team is. He has the personnel and he plays to his personnel. And on the flip side of that, it just seems like it just seems like there's no plan from Manchester United. There's no tactical plan. Um, I'm still not entirely seeing a transfer plan. You know, um, Jaden Sancho is obviously someone that they got. And, you know, probably worth mentioning, Rafael Veron is out injured. So, you know, that's a center back that could come up very, very important. Yeah, I mean, there's no plan and there's no secondary plan. Like, right, it's like, yeah, okay, there's no we're backup. Gonna go out with these, we're going to go out with these tags. We're going to try to play this match. You get out there, you get punched in the mouth. You go, okay, let's regroup. Let's figure out what's going on. There, it was, it was like not only was there no plan, there was no secondary or you know tertiary plan. There's no like what are they, what are they, what are they talking about in between matches? I mean, yeah, you know, you have to have strategy for if we're just not up for this match, let's park the bus, you know, or let's make these different changes, or let's try to attack in these different ways. And it just doesn't seem like any of that was evident. Solskjaer is stuck on this. I think he's stuck on this idea that, you know, there's a certain way that you play at Manchester United. And that's great for fans because they'll they'll say, yeah, that's that's, you know, that's how this works and and that's, you know, that's the way it's always worked here at Manchester United. But it's just not practical. It's not a practical thing. And and I'm not saying that Jose had it right necessarily when he, you know, lined up and and played them defensively and and you know, used these these negative tactics. But, you know, you it's not it's not the old Manchester United anymore. I think it's very I think if 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 that wasn't clear before this weekend, it's clear now. This is not your same old Manchester United. You've got to treat it differently. And so yeah, maybe you need somebody coming in from the outside. There was a really interesting uh article today in the Guardian, and the reason I say that is because you know, the Sun, uh, you know, they'll they'll print something if they think there's even just a slight element of truth possible to it. You know, the Daily Mirror will just print whatever they want as long as they come up with a good headline. But The Guardian really only prints these stories, I think, when they think there's something genuine behind it. And the story was basically that Antonio Conte, who, uh, of course, was last at Inter Milan um, and left at the end of May, uh, he's interested in this job. Should Solskjaer leave? And I think that would be a good appointment. I mean, he's obviously had success with Chelsea before, it's another former Chelsea manager coming to United. We saw the, how that worked out, you know, before. But I think it's a little bit different to Jose, um, and you know, won an FA Cup with them, won won the the Premier League with them. So that is out there on the horizon. And I also wonder this too, Jordan. Um, now you have a Newcastle United that is looking for a manager, and. With the new ownership of Manchester United, you or at, at Newcastle United, you now have a situation where they might be looking at the same managers that you are. Maybe I mean it's possible; it's more possible than it was before. And so, I just kind of wonder if that also doesn't factor into the decision making here by the Glazers and by the United Board as to what to do about this situation. Because yeah, you've got these important games coming up, but at the same time. This is not the first time this has happened under Solskjaer. They've had terrible runs before. They've come out of them, but they keep happening. And it just doesn't seem like he's the guy to carry you forward. I think the players like him as a guy. I don't think they like his his tactics, and they don't respect him when it comes to, you know, 
saying let's do this on the field or coming up with with whatever whatever it is that he says. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it's it's like what did they say between games? Like you said, Caleb. But but I just I wonder if that would, Newcastle threat is is factoring into that. Absolutely, and I would just say another thing to come away from and think about is performance was horrific. I mean, you know, yeah. what yeah. is going on with that guy? Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, uh, Ronaldo didn't look that great. Um. Rashford, uh, you know, it's his second. I think it's his second game back, second or third game back. Um, from his shoulder injury. So, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Um, you know, Sancho didn't start. Kind of interesting move. Not really sure about that one. Um, but, you know, the midfield was non-existent. Harry Maguire, um, like I said, you know, him and him and Shock sort of kind of, kind of did, had a Keystone Cops moment or so. I, it was just, it was weird. They ran into each other and the ball just sort of trickled through. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a, it was a dreadful, dreadful performance. Um, anything else, Jordan? So, yeah. uh, Adam. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so I actually have a couple. I have a couple reasons from the match itself as to why uh, Solskjaer has to go right now. Uh, one being Steve Bruce is available and out there. Uh, two, um, Mason Greenwood at multiple times during that game looked listless on the def- uh, on the defense, like he was not even trying to track back and, you know, at a, uh, at a reasonable pace. Um, the obvious miscommunications that occurred multiple times to, between McGuire and Shaw that led to multiple goals. Um, the tackle made by Paul Pogba on Nabi Keita, which he has to know that that's going to be a red. Okay. I'm going to, okay. And then, uh, and then I'm gonna, I got I'm gonna... one more. I got I got one more incident for you, which okay. which no one's mentioned this to this, so far to this point. Uh, the kicking out at Curtis Jones by Ronaldo twice. Okay, let's calm down. He is lucky. He, no, no, he is lucky. He got no, the he ball because that was two different kickouts. Yeah, he's lucky he got and... the ball because he was kicking at the ball because Curtis Jones fell down. Let's let's calm down a but, little bit. But as the as the commentators noted, he was kicking at the ball and directly behind the ball. Was Jones's stomach? So. Look, I get it. I mean, Manchester United definitely got there was some anger in that team, and they were upset, and that they shouldn't let that get to them. I'm a little fifty fifty on the Pogba challenge. I know Keita ended up being stretchered off. However, he got the ball number one. I didn't think his foot was that high. Like I've seen much higher tackles that have been. Oh, this is definitely a red card. I mean, this felt like a red on a technicality. Which is not a which which to me is not a horror challenge. It's just it's the, these are the rules as we interpret them and we send them off. So I really didn't think it was that bad. Um, you know, do you send him off? I mean, it didn't really matter. It was immaterial at that point. So yeah, whatever. Um, you know, the Ronaldo one. Yeah, I mean, he was angry. He was upset. I also feel like he was just kind of challenging. I don't know. I like that hard play. I like that heavy play and and you know that that you know at least trying to make something happen. So. I don't know. It was a yellow card, most definitely. Was it a foul? Absolutely. But I don't think it was in any universe a red card in that in that situation. If anything, I think some Liverpool players should have gotten uh, a card there because I mean, someone came in in that melee and just absolutely took out Bruno Fernandez, shoving him in the back. So I, I really don't know what that was about. But um. But what's interesting to me, Jordan, is yeah, I, there are a lot. Th- those were all bad things from the game. 
But I think the point that someone would make is, well, those are all things that players did. So where's the lie? Where, what, what happens if, so if, if a player plays badly, is that the manager's fault? Constantly, always, in every situation? Or is this on the United players for obviously not being good enough on the day? Oh, I mean, they, they bear some of the responsibility, but when, you've got, when you have that many, when you have a, a clear lack of strategy and you have that many players performing that poorly who, you know, on some level should be obviously performing at a much higher level, I mean, you can't, you know, if it were just a handful of players, you go, well, it's those individual players. But you've got half your team playing poorly, you know, on some level you've got to go, well, that it comes back to the manager. Yeah, I think we all agree that, that... – this does come back to Oligan and Solskjaer, but I, but I would say the poor performances lately. I mean, the last game, the last Premier League game that they won was on September the 19th against West Ham. Since then, they've either lost or drawn every single one. The performances have been bad. They've needed late goals from Ronaldo in their two Champions League wins that they've had since that time um, against Villarreal and then against Atlanta. And... It's not getting any easier. I mean, these these games are going to come hard and fast. You got those three games, then you come back for the international break, and then before you know it, it's the the holiday fixture madness time. So, I don't. Maybe this is the right time to get rid of to get rid of Ola. Um, but I think it's 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 definitely this was a a a seminal moment in this whole entire Solshire. Manchester United relationship. I think I, I think this this one's going to stick, and I don't see him getting out of it. Um, but how good were Liverpool? I mean, I think we asked last week is Mo Salah the best player uh, out there right now, and and I think after that, if he doesn't win the Ballon d'Or, it's it's kind of a shame. They're really good. I mean, at this point, are they favorites? I mean, I thought the way Chelsea started and how deep they were. You know, I think we said this one on maybe one of the initial early earliest pods for this season. Yeah, it was. You know, hey, Chelsea looks really good, but Liverpool is probably the deepest team in the league. And man, they look like the best team right now. If they keep playing this way. Salah keeps playing the way he is. I mean, it goes without saying that. I mean, it seems like they're going to win, and they might win fairly handily just based on the way Chelsea's performed other than obviously the last weekend, but Chelsea performed over the past few weeks. It seems like they're kind of clear favorites at this point. They get Liverpool face Preston at Deepdale in the league cup tomorrow. RIP Preston. Um, um, yeah, yeah know, go ahead, Jordan. With the, with the Liverpool versus Manchester United match and with the, uh, City versus Brighton match, I believe at this point in the season, we can clearly say that there are three teams realistically challenging for the title, Chelsea, City, and Liverpool. And then the the, the rest of the teams, you know, vying for Champions League and Europa League qualifying have now been delineated with, I believe, Brighton still probably the best. Then with – then Bite the your tongue. Teams in any, West Ham or fourth? Then, then the teams in any order. West Ham. Um, in any order, if the order is we're order, ahead of West, Brighton. In any order, West Ham. You know, Manchester United and Tottenham. Um. No, I I agree. Actually, that's something I was going to bring up when we we talked about the table later. But you're exactly right. I th- that 
there is a clear separation now between the teams I think are going to challenge for that title and the rest are going to defend for this last Champions League spot and then those Europa League spots, as you were saying. So speaking of Manchester City versus Brighton, let's talk about that one next. This one, another beatdown. Brighton 1, Manchester City 4, City dominant, perhaps surprisingly, against a usually organized and difficult to break down Brighton. Ilkay Gundogan opened the scoring, uh, followed by one and a half goals by Phil Foden. The first was off of a really, really good City counterattack in the first half. The second was a result of his backside deflecting Gabriel Jesus's close-range strike. So I don't know, put an asterisk next to that because he didn't really do anything other than just stick his ass out there. But um, <laughs> just poking fun. Uh, it's a good performance from Phil Foden. Brighton got one back through uh, a penalty from Alexis McAllister, his second goal of the season. And just to, to step aside, so Alexis McAllister, I'd like to ask both of you, anyone want to guess his nationality? Alexis McAllister? Is he Scottish? He is not. Oh, wow. Is he, is he Northern Irish? Also no. He has been capped by and grew up in Argentina. I, I, that would surprise me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he started his career at Argentinos Juniors and played a little bit there before uh, making the jump over. So, yeah, he's got two caps for the Argentine national team. Um, I think one of which actually was played in the United States. So, pretty cool. Anyways, uh, but that was just the consolation for Brighton. Um, uh, I think it was um, Riyad Mahrez who got that fourth goal for City. And like I said, just a very, very good performance for them. Uh, it's a tough run for Brighton. They go to Leicester in the League Cup tomorrow, which is Wednesday. And then they uh, take a trip to Anfield this next weekend. They get Newcastle at home before the international break. Um, are we surprised? I mean, I, I know it's City, and I know they're very good. But like I said, you know, Brighton this season, they've been very organized. They've been good. They've been defensive. Um, you know, maybe the fact that they lacked... Um, you know, a whole lot of firepower up top sort of hurt them this time because they weren't able quite to get out from this the shell that City would put around them and those really good attacking moves that just seemed to to confound the defense. But um, I don't know. I just I, four goals um, seems like a lot for this Brighton team to concede. Yeah, I'm, I was surprised by the result. Um, although it does look like Brighton is starting to come back down to earth after a pretty tremendous start. So. You know, I think part of it is, is I mean, obviously City's the better side. Um, I think part of it is Brighton overperformed at the beginning of the season, so maybe they're starting to settle. Um, although I still think that they're going to have a good season. Um, but I think it just shows you also just the gap between top teams like Liverpool and City and then the other teams they're playing right now. Yeah, definitely. They showed uh, their dominance this weekend, Jordan, did you catch any of this one? What did you What did you make of of City's complete dominance of Brighton? You know, I did not catch much of this okay. one, but uh, from the from from what is from the scoreline and from the highlights, um, Brighton is definitely missing Basuma in the midfield. Just oh, yeah. having that dynamic midfielder who's able to make runs deep into the opponent's half, and then you know also break up. Uh, you know, you know the the integrity of the of the Manchester City style passing in the defensive. Is I think Basuma and whether or not he comes back anytime soon will be the 
will be the key to how far Brighton goes uh, this year. Um, it actually was surprising to see that City Ford scored four goals against a team uh, who is, you know, well coached, uh, well managed, and uh, you know, very stout at the back. You know, we, we've we've talked, you know, uh, all this all this season and all you know the summer about Manchester City needing a striker, and this is just one of those moments where you kind of doubt that, but. I just continually feel like at some point they're going to need someone who could just take the game by the scruff of the neck and then just turn those half chances into goals. And maybe that's what is truly going to, you know, uh, either propel them to defending the title or, you know, uh, hold them back uh, in, in games against teams like Liverpool, like Liverpool and Chelsea. That's a very good point. I mean, they this is what they had last season, I think, that propelled them forward as they had guys like De Bruyne and Gundogan, you know, scoring perhaps, maybe not in De Bruyne's case, but perhaps more goals than you would normally think of for players who play in those positions um, and, you know, without really having a recognized striker. Um, I will say, I think Gabriel Jesus at least deserved a goal out of this. Like I said, um, <laughs> Phil Foden just sort of got in the way and deflected his shot uh, that ended up going past uh, Sanchez in the Brighton goal. So, um, so yeah, you know, maybe a coming down to earth for Brighton, but, it, you know, it, may, it might be a blip. We could see them use this springboard into a better position or into a better performance against An uh, Liverpool at Anfield. At least you would hope so for the sake of the neutral perspective and actually watching a good game. But, but uh, yeah, not having used Basuma in this team, I think really leaves them, um, you know, just lacking that dynamism that you might need to, um, to, to turn the, that defensive play around and, and get it into some, some worthwhile attacks. Um, Tyreek Lamptey, though, I did think, I, I thought he had a pretty good game. There was, there's a clip of him, I think, essentially dancing around Jack Grealish. And at one point, I think Grealish almost ends up on the ground. So that was, that was pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, very, very dominant for Manchester City. I also want to point out, and I just want to petition this now, let's, we need to stop this. So City were wearing their, their not cool away kits. They have these white away kits that have sort of got like this, I don't even know what to call it, like a neon multicolored trimmers or something. Um, those are cool, but these were like the dark ones and they just, they've got the Puma logo. I think they have, I, I, I think they have the team crest up in the corner and they've got, of course they've got the sponsor underneath, but then they've got like in, in these two, between these two white bars that go across just Manchester city. And it just, it looks like they're warmups. Like it just it looks it looks horrible. Like it looks like somebody was like, "Hey, this is a cool design," and just gave up halfway through. It's like we'll just put Manchester City in this little in this little top thing and do that. I think it's a Puma thing because I'm watching the replay of AC Milan versus Torino, and AC Milan also has that kit. It's ugly. It needs to stop. Let's get a little bit more. Let's 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 get some some better design elements into our away kits, please. Thank you. Um. Uh. Okay, next beat down. This one was really surprising to me. Everton 2, Watford 5. Uh, Joshua King had himself a day, a hat trick against his former employer as Watford rolled at Goodison Park. It started great with a goal from Tom Davis just 
uh, three minutes in. And Richarlison also scored for Everton. I think this was his comeback. He'd uh, been out with injury before then. But Watford hand a first win to new boss Claudio Ranieri behind those three goals from King and a goal each from Jan Kuka and Emmanuel Dennis. Um, Everton, they're winless in three. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is out. Olivia Ducure is out. There's no Fabian Delph. There's no Yeri Mina. Um, it's, it's a bit of a rough patch for Rafa Benitez's men. What do we... What, uh, uh, Demarai Gray played in today. I think he assisted on the goal, or in one of the goals, but uh, other than that, just not a not a great performance from Everton. No, it was it was really disappointing. I, I will say that Watford, as, as surprising as it is for them to score this much, I think, if you go back and you look at the way they performed this year, I mean, defensively, they haven't been terrible. They had a bad loss to Liverpool, but obviously that can happen to anybody. Um, but other than that, I mean, they've been fairly stingy in terms of conceding. Um, they've just struggled to score goals. Um, but the fact that they would score five against Rafa Benitez and Everton, that just kind of that's just a very confusing result. I didn't get to watch this match. What what happened? Was it just a was it a lack of concentration on Everton's side, or I mean, what made Watford so deadly? They haven't looked like this at all this season. Well, Everton, I would say, or. They're kind of like I said. They're, they're kind of dealing with some injury issues. Um, you know, Yuri Mina being out, so Godfrey had to play in the middle. But another thing I'll say about that, I, I can't. I was thinking this morning. I said something after the first weekend about Watford, and I used a word that I thought this is a really good word for them, and I can't remember it now. But I thought of a new one that I think is good. I think Watford are going to be a radical this year. I think they're going to be one of those teams that when you go up against them, you're just not entirely sure what you're going to get. And a lot of it has to do with the nature of their players. They've got a lot of these guys who. You know, they're maybe considered up and coming. They're maybe considered a, a bit of a risk when you go and get them. That's the kind of business that Watford like to do. And yeah, they they they've got great skills. They probably got great athleticism. You know, they need that extra bit of you know training and and knowledge. Um, you know, a lot of young guys as well. But on their day, they are absolutely unbeatable, and they they will look like superstars and I think that's what happened here today is I just I think I think it was one of those things where Watford were playing fantastic the service into Josh King was looking great um you know they may be trying a new bit of slightly new formation um under Claudio Ranieri I think he's got sort of like a three across the middle and these two that sit in behind the central striker that can go wide or can play more compact and make it a little bit more difficult for you to do things against them um but I, I think I think they're just going to be a radical element in this Premier League, and maybe they don't go out and beat somebody like Liverpool or City or Chelsea. Um, you know, maybe those are those they, they can't quite reach there. But you know, West Ham, uh, Everton, Tottenham, you know, some of these teams, these teams in the middle, Aston Villa, they better watch out when they're playing Watford. Jordan, I heard you uh, kind of come off mute there for a minute. What what did, what was your your take on this? Um. I think this, uh, you know, you were talking about the injury problem for Everton. I also feel like this comes back to a team setup problem for Everton. Um, because, you know, Lucas uh, Digne and Seamus Coleman, after, you know, after coming back from that horrific leg, leg injury, are not the quickest in tracking back. And, uh, Everton was having a really hard time breaking down Watford, Watford, you know, with their 
front four, and then you know, um, Richarlson and uh, Demarai uh, uh, Gray. So those those fullbacks had to come up the pitch, and that allows players like uh, you know Emmanuel Dennis and Saar to you know attack that space. And it didn't help that they had probably their worst center back pairing on the pitch for this whole game. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought Michael King, uh, Keen was going to be the next, you know, great, uh, young center back coming out of Burnley. Um, he is not it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what has happened to him since his, since he's joined Everton, but he and Godfrey were making way too many mistakes and, what was what was crazy in this game is you know Richarlson scores that header within like the first couple minutes uh, after halftime you know great goal in his comeback and then it just kind of it kind of stagnates for a little bit and then around like the 70th minute Watford just has this explosion with uh, you know the Kuka goal uh, you know Ama- uh, you know Emmanuel Dennis. And then Josh King getting his third, which I thought was a hell of a goal because he was able to control that pass and then just slide it past uh, Jordan Pickford. Which, any day, you know, <laughs> Jordan Pickford gets uh, gets run on with five goals is a great day in my book. <laughs> Amen. Great Amen. for great for y'all. Not great for England. Not great because he's England number one. But yeah, or maybe it is great because then he will no longer be the England number one, yeah, which I think would be good for them. No, no. he's been he's been great for England. He has. I, I I mean they got to a they got to a uh yeah, they got to the Euros final with him. Lost on penalties, but that wasn't entirely his fault. No, he's he's just the keeper. He made a save. He I'm saved just, a penalty. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to balance more, this. I'm trying to balance this out with you know, with some some some. I'm trying to balance out the Jordan Pickford hate club over here. I mean, if he saved one more, England might have you know brought it home. But they, they I, missed. I they missed. They missed several. I enjoy watching him flail about. I think those are different. I think that's that's different emotions there. I think it's just weird because his he doesn't look like the normal keeper as we've mentioned before. His arms are tiny. Um, it's just, it's also, just weird to watch. It's so funny to me when he gets upset. Like he just gets so <laughs> angry, you know. And you're just like, yeah, calm down, man. I think there's some videos of him getting angry outside of a pub, which we can go watch later. Anyways, um, all right. So from the like I said, from from the smackdown that was this weekend to a bit more of a tame result, yet still one that was a smackdown within its own right, and I'm very, very happy to talk about this. I watched it and uh, was just incredibly happy, ran around my house when uh, the result was final. Uh, West Ham won, Tottenham nil, a, dare I say it, brave West Ham performance against their heated enemies. A scoreless affair was disrupted by the great disruptor of defenses, Mikel Antonio, his sixth Premier League goal. He reacted first to an Aaron Cresswell corner that fell right between some Spurs defenders stepped in front of Harry Kane. That's not entirely fair to Harry Kane. I think he knew nothing about it, but the point is Mikel Antonio knew more about it. Um, a point-blank header from England's number one man up top was Spurs' best chance, but Lucas Fabianski in the West Ham goal was 
equal to it. It's two straight wins for West Ham, and they were some pretty good ones. Uh, like I said earlier, this took up this took West Ham up to fourth, and that was dependent on the Liverpool and West uh, the Liverpool and United results. And because of that, West Ham remain in that last Champions League spot. Um, I gotta be I. I mean, this was huge. And it was huge for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was against Spurs. Hate them. Uh, secondly, this is the second weekend in a row where I feel like it's been a gritty, tough performance. You know, this one followed a Thursday game, at the, uh, the, the Thursday Europa League game. It was a 3-0 win against Genk, but still, um, you know, you had, uh, they rotated the squad. But it's still tough to, I think, switch very quickly from Thursday to Sunday and you know to have that the sort of concentration and tenacity you need to get through games like this, and they did it. They did it really well. It was a back and forth game. Um, the only criticism you maybe could have is it would have been nice to have not had so many, you know, Spurs attacks and watching them get open, especially as the game kind of wore on. But I mean, to be able to come out of this with a one nil win, I, it, it felt so great, and not just because it was Spurs, but like I said, it was just that that feeling of this is a genuine team and Moyes is doing something to this team that I don't think anybody could have possibly predicted. Um, again, you know, the last season was great, but this season is looking so, so solid and it's very, very exciting. I don't know what the neutral point of view is on that, but that's this West Ham fans take. So wait a minute, hold on, Adam. Let me get this and let me understand this clearly. What you're what you were saying was that you doubted David Moyes taking a middling Premier League team and then elevating it to something greater than the, the greater than its parts. I mean, did he not make a career off doing that in, at Everton? Yeah, but look look at what uh, he's look at what he's done since then. He went to Manchester United, that was a bust. He went to Real Sociedad, that was a bust. He went to Sunderland, that was a bust. He went to West Ham, and that was a bust the first time around. This is his second time back, and yeah, so I I don't think many people would have expected him to be able to do this with this West Ham side, especially considering. They've got the Europa League commitments now. They weren't able to bring in maybe all of the players that they would have wanted in the offseason. And yet, sitting in fourth after nine games, I mean, I'll take that. I don't think it's going to stick. I think there will be some hard times. I think the, the, the winter might be particularly tough, uh, just considering, you know, conditions, matches starting to pile up, things like that. But uh, this team has already shown, I think, that it can take what happened last season and say, this was not an aberration. This was not just something that happened. We are genuinely building something here and it's exciting. And so, yeah, I, I'm no, surprised. I'm surprised at that. No, I, I, I would be excited as a West Ham fan. Um, because honestly, without, you know, a, just a ton of cash investment, yeah, you know, and really getting really is paying premium for players to come to West Ham this is kind of like the perfect spot for your club and David Moyes, you know, you're not gonna, you know, unfortunately it's economic, it's economically dictated. You're not going to really challenge for the premier league every single year for the title, but you are going to be in that upper end of the pack from, you know, four to eight. And, 
with David Moyes, there's always going to be <laughs> there's always going to be. Hey, you know what? Before the buyout, before you know, three hundred twenty nine billion dollars, I would have flipped. I would have flipped positions with you right now, Adam. That's all I've ever wanted for Newcastle's. You know, uh, you know, you know, stability, true stability of the Premier League. Maybe punching up above your weight every so often, and then a really good cup run every couple of years. Maybe, a, maybe a cup before I die. That's all I wanted. <laughs> I mean, now I have the opportunity for much more, but I, that's where my that's where in my expectations still kind of are until you know we just get we we just start money whipping things. But no, I'm happy for you. I'm I'm glad this is a this is a good win. Um, ironically enough, um, it's funny to see West Ham United dominate possession just, you know, since I've started following the Premier League a decade ago, uh, in their earlier, you know, in the, uh, in their earlier, uh, you know, times up at the, uh, up in the Premier League, they just were not a possession oriented team under Sam Allardyce. Uh, you know, a lot of lot of lot of long balls over the top to tar- uh, Carlton Cole, who's a legend. But yes, I agree with you. Um, also, appreciate I, yeah, I appreciate that. But I also feel like there was a slight dig there at East London, which I I I, I can't really ignore. Having to pay over the odds to get people to come to West Ham, it's East London, man. No, no, no. I, no, I, what I'm I wasn't digging at West Ham, but what I'm saying is they're not they're they're just not. The, with they're just not the team they're they're just not the team du jour in London. They're pro, they're fourth yet behind Chelsea, Arsenal, Arsenal and Tottenham kind of tie, and then West Ham. So yes, you would have to pay a premium. Okay, don't fault me for that. Well, you don't want to go to Arsenal. Why would you want to go up there? Um. So yeah, fantastic win for West Ham. Very very excited uh, about that. Staying in London, uh, a great result for Leicester. Though uh, Brentford won Leicester City two, um, Leicester City they said so since that loss back on September the nineteenth, Leicester City have got two draws and two wins uh, since then. Yuri Tielemans, whew, I mean what a what a strike, Jordan. I think you saw that one clear for takeoff with just an absolute rocket to open the scoring in the fourteenth minute. Um, and then am I crazy or should Ivan Tony have had a goal in this game? No, that was a Still clear goal. Every game. I know, but that was every game. no, that was a clear Ivan Tony goal. Yeah, um, I was going to say, um, you know, Yuri Til- Yuri Tillemans has not agreed to a new contract with Leicester, so uh, Amanda Staveley, open up the pocketbook. Let's get this done because I would love to see him in the black and white if he could do that, which he is more than capable of. Um, John Joe Shelby wishes he could do that. Uh, and it's clearly just a wish because he just, God, that that was just so beautiful, fantastic. And, and two in two weekends in a row, no less, you you hit different kinds of incredible goals from distance. Yeah, one kind of that you know that off the side of your foot, you know, looping over the goalkeeper, and then this one was just a rocket out of nowhere, no less. Too, the commentators were hilarious because they're like. Does anyone even want to? Does even does anyone really even attempt it from that distance? And then they go, "Well, Yuri Tillman's does." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, 
but yeah, so what? Ivan Ivan Tony should have had a goal. Um, but yeah, so Matthias Jorgensen did get the equalizer for Brentford, um, but Leicester caught the bees devas caught the bees out with a devastating counterattack. Ihe Nacho feeding the ball to the speedy Pat Sendaka, who lays it off to that scoring machine. J.K. James Madison, first goal since February uh, for him in the 73rd minute. And the first back-to-back wins for Leicester this season. I think Brendan Rodgers has sorted this out. What do you think, Jordan? You know, when you when you beat Manchester United and then, you know, beat uh, beat a very, you know, game Brentford, um, yeah, I think you sorted this out. Um you know, I was going to actually say something over uh, uh, that I've noticed this weekend, and I was wondering if y'all noticed this too, that teams, when they play the three at the back with the or, – or five at the back, you know, when they're in, the, when they're in their own defensive half, uh, then the – what would be uh, like a two-man midfield and then either a ten uh, – like a, a ten and like a two strikers up top um, – the teams that do well in that uh, in, in, with that style of uh, team uh, team setup um, press a lot more and are a lot more aggressive in terms of you know cutting cutting down the uh, the, the cutting down their opponents like uh, you know passing lanes and they don't sit back. But the teams that do sit back kind of can get. Uh, um, Stuck in their own end because teams are are just able to cycle the ball back out to a uh, a center back or a fullback who hasn't you know really come forward. I was just wondering if you've noticed that so far uh, because I believe there was like one, two, three, four, five different teams. No, six uh, because Norwich lined up like that against Chelsea this weekend too. <laughs> well, my I mean I think this is a mixture of personal tastes and what you want, and then also the trends in football. I think the trend in football right now is to have a pressing team. I think that's something that you can maybe argue that Jurgen Klopp popularized. You could also say that it was already uh, getting popular and he just perfected it. But but I, I do think that pressing, that you know, going out and getting the teams and being very aggressive, I think that, that that is a part of the way teams play right now. And when you play in that system, it sort of lends to that because you've got those three guys at the back who, you know, you can, they can sit there and they can be there and, and, you know, occupy that defensive uh, setup or, you know, basically be that, that line of defense that you need, which is going to stop any attack that might happen. So you guys can get back. So the rest of the players can go forward with the assurance that they've got those guys back there. So, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a solid tactic that's being used this season. I, I would say, too, probably part of that is when you see teams that have that kind of three central defenders and then, you know, put, they have the back five, if you will, um, the team, you know, the teams that don't aren't successful with that setup, often they have that setup simply because they know they're going to get the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> and so... It seems like if you do have it set up, you can afford to press with your midfielders and your forwards. Then you probably have the talent and the you know in order to be successful. Whereas I think the teams that don't press when they're in that setup is just because they can't. Um, so I agree with you to some point, Jordan. But I also think it's also a function of that kind of setup being employed by teams who are just ready for a beatdown. 
Um, and you know, we, I call, uh, you know, I've, I've given him the name of future man city striker, Ivan Tony, you know, but what impresses me the most about his game so far, you know, coming up from the championship to the premier league is the way he can, um, really execute the, that, that flick on pass. I believe he had, uh, Embuemo, you know, through to goal, um, one time and that's what's going to that's what's going to define him i believe as a premier league striker is just that ability that link up ability he has that vision uh in the attacking third and then just that the way he just plays those those flick ons whether it's with a with a foot or his head he just knows how to get the the ball to uh his strike partners his strike partners and uh, he just messes meshes very very well with his team Uh, yes, very good point. Yeah, Ivan Tony definitely uh, a big part of that Brentford Brentford team. Um, getting on to the rest of the results from this weekend, some also rans Arsenal with a good win against Aston Villa, three one uh, at the Emirates. Chelsea seven, Norwich nil. Talk about a beatdown. Um, just absolutely horrendous there. Uh, well, not if you're a Chelsea fan. Leeds one, Wolves one, uh, and a pretty even one there. Another draw, Southampton two, and Burnley two, and then another draw, Palace. One Newcastle one. Interesting note out of the Palace and Newcastle game, there was a banner that was flown by uh, the uh, let's just say antagonistic Palace fans that uh, prompted a brief investigation. They've decided that it is not worth any further action. But um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, interesting banner, um, Jordan. I don't know if you want to go into that. You know, honestly, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, I kind of, I kind of feel like, as a Newcastle fan at this point, you kind of have to accept you're going to be ribbed um, by by the rest of the league. Period. Uh, and I mean, they do have valid reasons. You just kind of have to roll with the punches. You know, that's what that's the that's the territory. That's what comes with this, you know, extremely new money territory we, we are in right now. Um, what was concerning for me, though, watching that game was the fact that we were out, we were out possession by Crystal Palace. You know, I figure, I, I kind of hoped that you know when Steve Bruce resigned, um, that there would be you know some, there were some changes in the team, um, but there wasn't a, there wasn't a change in energy, and there wasn't really a change in, um, you know, tactics. Uh, and it took an incredible goal, uh, you know, over the head by Callum Wilson to tie it up. But if Christian Benteke had been on his game, I think that game would have been handily, uh, uh, handily new uh, Crystal Palaces. Yeah. It could have been three, 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 one, four, one, um, and maybe that was on Patrick Vieira for not starting uh, Odward, uh in the middle, and then have uh, you know uh, Wilfred Zaha on the right. Um, you know, you have a striker who is a little bit better with his seat, and you know, to take those opportunities. Um, and I was, I, I was, I was pleased to see that VAR was used properly to, uh, to, uh, you know, determine that the second Crystal Palace goal was a foul, uh, because that new that Newcastle player was clearly drugged to the floor 
which uh, cut the legs out of another Newcastle of a leaping Newcastle defender, which allowed Christian Benteke to have like five yards of space just to put his massive head onto the ball onto a cross. Um, so, I mean, I'll take a draw, but we cannot keep drawing games against teams in the bottom half of the table uh, because I believe we played the 13th place, the 14th place, the 15th, the 16th, and the 17th place teams already, and we have not won one of them yet. Running out of options there. Um, So, yes, that was uh, Palace 1, Newcastle 1. So we talked about West Ham. We talked about Newcastle. Let's talk about Fulham and Caleb with the English League Championship update. How was this weekend? I know it was a particularly good one for the Cottagers. It was. Um, and we will get to that. They played a rare Sunday match, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, first things first, so Burnmouth, unfortunately, top of the table, so we'll start with them. They <laughs> defeated Huddersfield Town 3-0. Uh, the clear first, um, 10 wins, 4 draws, no lo- no losses for fighting Scott Parkers. Um, but just behind them in second, following um, two pretty impressive victories, although for different reasons, are, is uh, Fulham. Um, beat uh, Nottingham Forest 4-0 on a day that I think everybody, at least on the Fulham side, um, agreed was not um, their best performance. Um, the uh, athletic writer for Fulham, Peter Rutzler, mentioned, um, or I think tweeted, just how it, it shows you how dangerous Fulham can be, that they can not play their best match and beat you 4-0. And obviously they've lost some pretty terrible matches. They lost to Coventry. So, so, you know, it's not like Fulham has been dominant from start to finish, but um, I think they're probably the most dangerous team in the championship, um, if not the most consistent. Um, so obviously a, a great win there um, over Nottingham Forest. Um, interesting thing. So with Burnmouth, Burnmouth and, um, and Fulham one and two, they first face off on Friday evening, December 3rd. So it was a Saturday fixture. We moved to a Friday evening fixture. Um, so they'll be on TV. So that will be a big match on December 3rd. Um, but real quickly, before we get to the rest of the championship, the, the midweek, midweek game um, was against Cardiff City, who has been performing pretty abysmally. And um, Fulham ended up winning that match and uh, 2-0. And the first goal was scored by none other than Captain Tom Kearney um, with a really beautiful strike on a bouncing ball with his left foot in, I believe, the 57th minute. And one of the reasons um, why it was such an amazing goal was because um, Tom Kearney hasn't played for Fulham for 10 months. He was injured last year, had an injury, kind of struggled his way through about 10 matches. Then last December was kind of shut down. And it got to the point where he wasn't even practicing with the team. Um, and a lot of Fulham fans were worried that we'd, we'd seen him play his last game for Fulham, which is kind of a big deal. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's the captain of the team. He's played for Fulham since 2015. He's he's kind of led us to two um, two promotions. And, and I have to say, I mean, watching him, he scores. So he comes on as a substitute um, is kind of the first thing. So he doesn't start. He, this was, I think, was the first game he was available, maybe the second. So um, there's an injury in the midfield. Um, they bring in, I think it was Harrison Reed. They bring in Tom Kearney, um, and he's on for 12 minutes and he scores and it's raining like so hard. Um, and it's at Craven cottage and, uh, 
he scores and he like he runs to the you know he runs to the fans and i think we were going i forget which end we were going toward i should know this is a form fan i don't i, I don't think it was okay. a campus event anyway so he scores and he starts tearing up and like i start tearing up and like it's just it's just such an emotional event and it's a moment where you just you just think to yourself like that's it kind of just shows what a what a meaningful game this is because um you know, to, to have him come score that goal. I mean, ultimately, we, we won that match anyway, and it's not that important of a win, per se. But, um, you know, it's just a really, really cool moment. And there was a cool moment after the goal where Tim Ream, who's American, who's been filling in for Tom as captain, kind of came and put his arm around his neck and talked with him for a while. So it was, just, it was, a, really, it was a really cool moment. And I think him returning is just a big lift for this team, even if, you know, he's not necessarily going to be, you know, maybe the Tom Carey of old and, and his skill set kind of is replicated by um, uh, John Michael Seri, who, who also plays a midfield, but it's just, it's great to see, to see him play. So anyway. Great story. Um, yeah. So great win. Awesome to see um, Captain back. Um, so we'll see how Fulham and Burnmouth um, go the rest of the year. Table right now, obviously those two in automatic qualifiers, um, West Brom, Coventry, Luton, and Middlesbrough, shockingly enough, currently in the um, playoff, uh, the uh, three through six spots. Um, Hull City, Plarnes and Coast Derby, um, actually I think it drew over the weekend, <laughs> round out the bottom three. Um, so that is your um, English League Championship update. Yes, Derby with a 1-1 draw against Coventry. And you mentioned, surprisingly, it's surprising to see Middlesbrough up in, in the playoff spots. Luton Town, where yeah. did they come from? How would you like yeah. that? How would you like that Premier League to play a, a Monday night match at Kenilworth Road? Oof. I, I, the championship's so weird. I have to say Sheffield United's been playing out of their minds recently. They beat Barnsley 3-2. Um, and it's just kind of funny because then there's like a team like Stoke City who's played well all year. They've dropped out. Um, I think Stoke City beat they beat somebody of note in the um, in the in in the football uh, cup um, league cup the league cup yeah sorry um, who yeah. did they beat they beat somebody of note anyway so it's just I mean Stoke's a really good side so the fact that they're not even in the top six is kind of interesting so championship always wild and Always wild. Uh, yeah, Stoke beat, I think it was Watford. So they beat a Premier League side in the Carabao Cup, and then they they went on a pretty good run, but then they lost to Sheffield United, then they lost to Bournemouth, of course they did, and they lost to Millwall. Ugh. Um, anyways, so thank you, Caleb, for that update. Um, uh, speaking of the League Cup, we had so this is the middle of the week. We've got a few matches um, going on. Um, we'll get, to get you up to date with the ones that happened today, which was Tuesday. So Arsenal beat Leeds to nil Chelsea beat Southampton but they had to go to penalties it was 4-3 um Reese James put in the deciding penalty uh for to send Stamford uh to send Stamford Bridge home happy and then Sunderland beat QPR but they had to beat them 3-1 uh on penalties there's going to be some more tomorrow including West Ham against Manchester City which is going to be interesting um so so that was the English League Championship table Earlier, so let's have a look at the Premier League table. Obviously, we mentioned Chelsea uh, and Liverpool still there at one and two. Chelsea just ahead by a point, but Liverpool still without a defeat this season. They have not lost. They just had a couple more draws than Chelsea, hence why 
They are second. Uh, Manchester City just behind them in third on 20 points. And then, as Jordan mentioned earlier, that's kind of where the separation begins. So you get West Ham in fourth, but they're on 17 points. So they're five points off the top of the table, which, you know, not necessarily the farthest behind, uh, but it is still kind of early to talk about that. But you you see that separation starting to, to take place. Um, West Ham in fourth, Brighton in fifth on 15 points. Tottenham also on 15, but they're in sixth. And then these three teams, uh, actually four teams, uh, on all on 14 points to round up the top half of the table. Manchester United, Everton, Leicester, and Arsenal. Wolves still on 11th after that draw. They're on 13 points. Uh, the defeat sends Brentford. Oh, they, I think they're still in 12th. Uh, Aston Villa in 13th. Watford, Crystal Palace, Southampton. And Leeds just above the relegation zone. And I think there's no change in the bottom three. Burnley, Newcastle, Norwich. All still down there. Um... But as we'll talk about in a minute, Norwich possibly with a chance for some points. Like I said, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute this this weekend, and we'll talk about that in Top Shelf Picks. But first, let's take a look at your weekend ahead. This is the uh, round that starts on October the 30th. Happy Halloween, everybody. Leicester City and Arsenal get us uh, get us started at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time. That's going to be on NBCSN. Liverpool face the mighty Brighton. Uh, that's at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. That's on NBCSN. On USA Network at Newcastle uh, at St. James's Park against top of the table Chelsea. Good luck, Jordan. Uh, that's at 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time as well. Burnley versus Brentford uh, at 10 a.m. on Peacock. And then also Manchester City versus Palace uh, on Saturday on Peacock. And Watford versus Southampton also on Peacock. The late game on Saturday, Tottenham against Manchester United from Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, 12.30 a.m. Eastern Time on NBC slash Peacock. Then on Halloween, it's a classic, uh, Norwich against Leeds. Now, uh, a note here. So the time changes this weekend in the U.K., so they fall back an hour, which means they're only going to be five hours ahead of Central Time and four hours ahead of Eastern Time. So the time change is going to happen. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take place uh, until... The United States falls back, which is going to be a week from this Sunday. So we'll have at least one week where all the European games are at weird times. So Norwich versus Leeds, that's at 10 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Aston Villa against West Ham is the late Sunday game. That's at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on NBCSN. And then on Monday, we get an even weirder one. Wolves versus Everton, that starts at 4 p.m. Eastern time on NBCSN. So adjust your clocks, fellas. Uh, list at least for a week. It'll get back to normal on sun, uh, on a week from Sunday. And now, moving on to our top shelf picks from this past week. So, real quick, uh, we had a pretty good weekend, I thought, last weekend. Um, uh, so, Arsenal versus Aston Villa. Jordan and I predicted that result correctly. The scoreline we didn't get... Um, uh, Caleb, your prediction of a draw, unfortunately, did not play out. So Jordan and I got a point from that. We all got a point. Uh, we all predicted City would beat Brighton, and they did. Um, and Manchester United versus Liverpool, both uh, Caleb, you, and Jordan got that correct. So uh, standings after all of that, um, Caleb still in the lead with 15 points. Um, Jordan closing the gap, 12 points now. Uh, for you, and then uh, I'm on 10 points, still in last. But the the good news is we've all uh, moved into double digits in terms of the uh, the results that we have gotten correct. 
So, Caleb, you've correctly predicted 13, Jordan 10, and uh, myself 10. Uh, and I'm still the only one who have not predicted the correct scoreline. It's going to start changing. Okay, um, so for this week, our friendly little competition here on Saturday. This is the one we start out with Leicester City against Arsenal uh, at the King Power Stadium in the East Midlands. Uh, both teams coming off of some very good wins this past weekend. So, Caleb, you're up first. Who's going to be the winner in this meeting, Leicester Arsenal? Uh, I actually have it down as a 2-2 draw, believe it or not. Lots of scoring going on in Leicester on Saturday afternoon. Um, Oh, boy. Yeah, this one's pretty tough. I'm going to go with, I'm going to say a... 3-1, because I I think they're just good scoring form, and I think Arsenal are due a bit of a setback. I think it's going to be 3-1 to Leicester City at home. Uh, Brendan Rodgers with, I think, his first first notable win of the season. Jordan, last but certainly not least, Leicester versus Arsenal, who you got? Um, You know, I believe it's a Leicester win. Uh, They've just been on a run of form in the past couple weeks specifically that's going to carry them into this match at home versus Arsenal. It's going to be 2-1 Leicester City. 2-1 to the Foxes. Next up to Anfield. Uh, this is later on Saturday. Liverpool against Brighton. Liverpool coming off of that obviously very big win against Manchester United. Brighton maybe hitting uh, that that dip in form after such a good start, uh, but certainly some lessons to learn from that result against Manchester City. Um I don't think it's going to be as bad as that for Brighton. Uh, I think they're going to they're going to kind of clean things, clean some things up, but I do think they're going to lose. I think it's two nil to Liverpool is my prediction. Jordan, I think it's going to be three one uh, Liverpool. Brighton getting a goal against Liverpool and Caleb. What do you think between Liverpool and Brighton? Uh, I think three one is a pretty fair result. I think I'm going to go with that as well. All right. The only one not showing love to the goals. Uh, and then this one. All right, I'm going to explain this one. So uh, this, I think, is one of these that can kind of go either way, which is why it's such a fun pick. I think this could be just a dreadful, awful game um, at Carrow Road. Or it could be just an absolute knockdown, drag-out, seven-goal thriller, five-goal thriller um that is just eye-catching and perfect for a Sunday morning um, after your your all-night Halloween party the night before. So Norwich against Leeds. Norwich, uh, without a win this season, Leeds, I think, have a single win. I don't think they have. I think they just got the one. Um, Leeds just above the relegation zone. Norwich, rock bottom. They, they have a total of two points this season. But they're at home. They're making some changes. They're trying to make this Premier League thing work this time around. So, Jordan, is this going to be the match in which Norwich finally gets the win that they need to build a Premier League comeback survival story? That would be a no, Adam. Okay. <laughs> However, this will be an entertaining four-goal game. It will okay. be a 2-2 draw, Norwich versus Leeds. Right. Um, I I kind of feel like what's going to happen is I think there's going to be like an 80 to 85th minute tying goal 
That's why. That's where I got the feeling. Because ah. I, I don't. I don't know who's going to be up. Because honestly, both teams have pretty decent firepower. You know. Uh, but just on the defensive end, they're just they're 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 equally as bad. So yeah, it's gonna be four goals, and it's gonna be back and forth. But it's gonna end up with a uh, uh, each team taking a point. All right, so four goals at Carroll Road says Jordan this weekend. Caleb, what do you think? Stinker or uh, or one to write home about? I really, oh, I think it's gonna be a terrible match. I really, um, <laughs> I really want to. I, I think it's gonna be a draw, so I agree with Jordan okay. there. I, I really want to say nil nil because I mean I agree these teams can score, but God, they're just so terrible. You gotta think the Canaries are gonna be up a little bit after getting absolutely just slaughtered by Chelsea. Right. So I have this down as a one-one draw. Um, you know, I think it, I think it'll be a pretty boring match to be honest. I'd love to see Norwich come out and you know win three-one or something. I mean, that'd be a lot of fun. You hate to see a team perform as poorly as they have this year, but I, I just they haven't shown it yet. I'm gonna go on the opposite end of that spectrum. I think it's gonna be. I think this one's gonna be a good one. I think it's gonna end. I, I, I'm all love to Canaries. I gotta hope. I gotta believe. Three two to Norwich is what I'm saying against Leeds. Plus, I gotta get a result. I gotta get something going here. I'm, I'm way behind. Um, all right, that's the top shelf picks for this week. Um, uh, I don't think there's any 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 other business. Uh, another manager linked to the Newcastle job. Jordan Paulo Fonseca. The uh, the Roma manager. So there you go. There's there's another one for the list. Um, but other than that, I don't know that there's a whole lot else going on. Uh, well, uh, locally, um, there was some news this week. Uh, the FIFA uh, stadium inspectors uh, swung through the Dallas-Fort Worth area last weekend. Oh, nice. And uh, inspected uh, uh, Toyota Stadium. Uh, the Cotton Bowl and uh, AT&T Stadium. So, gotta feel like the first two were just courtesy visits. Um, you, you never know. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, but I kind of feel like AT&T Stadium and uh, has a good shot at getting uh, a co- uh, you know a couple matches, maybe even being the final. Uh, just given on how easy it is to, uh, you know, fly into DFW um, and how centrally located it is, it is in the country. So we got a shot, you know. If, uh, you know, if any of us have the funds by 2026, I think a uh, we ate all the pies field trip to World Cup match would be fun. I think that I, I think they may play some World Cup matches here in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, definitely. At Mercedes Benz, so yeah. um, I, I fully plan on on uh, on on watching some World Cup matches. You know, I, I assume it's going to be like you know Estonia and Latvia or whomever. You know, but, you know <laughs> Kenya and Chile. But you know, it'll be it'll be actually Kenya and Chile be fun. Um, yeah, it'll be a fun match. That'd be a good match. But yeah, I I would. But yeah, if they play, I mean, if they play some meaningful matches in tech, because I. They're going to play, they'll probably play in Austin too, won't they? I mean, most of these matches are going to be in Texas. I assume Vegas, Austin, um, Dallas, Atlanta, those kind of places, maybe Columbus. Austin's issue is other than Daryl K. Royal, which is not usually used for a match. I think, I think really the the big stadiums in Texas are in Dallas, obviously AT&T stadium. And then, um, in Houston, 
Houston, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I I, I, I think those two are really going to be on the list. There's a list out there somewhere. I can't remember. Obviously, the World Cup 2026. Where does Austin FC play? They have their own stadium, but it's it's okay. smaller. It's small. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, like it's a beautiful. Uh, there is like an eighteen, like an eighteen thousand seater. I yeah, think. I think that's so. Right. It's like, like a perfect size for like a like an MLS club, you know. Yeah. Um, but not what you're looking for in terms of you know uh, seating for like the World Cup. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So you go. Something to look forward to for uh, we ate all the pies season. Oh, what's that? One, two. Yeah, five seasons from now. Five, five seasons. Yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I, com- I, I will commit to that now. <laughs> I, will, uh, I will be delirious that summer for sure, uh, as Newcastle will have won the league and the Champions League. Uh, it will be an amazing. It will be an amazing uh-huh. double. I'll oh be God. coming off of. It's a terrible world that lives. Fulham well, will either be at Caleb. the top of the Championship or the bottom of the Premier League. That's those are my. That's my prediction. Pretty, pretty solid prediction there. Pretty solid. All right. I think that's 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 a wrap for for this week. Uh, more on English football, obviously, next week as we go toward yet another international break. But after that, it's the holidays coming up so so fast. Um, we're gonna have to get some mince pies here pretty soon, gentlemen. Uh, Jordan, do we do the honors? Uh, let's go eat some pies. Let's go eat some pies. Thanks, guys, and thank you all listening. We will see you next week. <laughs>